New Year and welcome to the revamped Simple Politics Podcast. I'm your host and political ignoramus, Kobe, and I'm joined by political savant, Tatten and Diane. Happy New Year, guys. How are you doing? Happy New Year, Kobe. Happy New Year, everybody. We are fresh and excited for 365 more days of this. Wow. <laughs> what else this is being, there? This being talking about politics. This being life. This being about 2022. Bring it on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How are you doing, Diane? Um, yeah, good. Thank you. Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, 2022 started for me with... Um, two young boys in self-isolation in my house, but um, I'm hoping it's onwards and upwards from here on in. (laughs) Well, I'm hoping that, the whole world's hoping that, basically. Yeah, it definitely is. So the format of this podcast, guys, is simple, of course. We have five different segments that we will go through each week, mainly based on the activity on the Instagram account at Simple Politics. So if you don't already follow us um, on Instagram at Simple Politics, go there, click follow and tell your friend. Uh, because obviously we want more and more people to see what we do online and listen to this podcast as well. So the first section is a popularity contest where we go through each of the most popular posts in reverse order from last week. Diane, do you want to take us through the overview? Yeah, so a great week to start. Um, Parliament's back, which is always exciting. Uh, We've had tons more data coming through, which we'd been waiting for over the Christmas period. So lots more coming through around Omicron and how that's playing out. And then we've had tennis players stuck at airports, which we're not going to get into in too much detail in this podcast. Um, But again, as always, a varied, varied news week. So Tatten, you're going to take us through, I guess, what came in third place in terms of how far posts went this week. Uh, Before we go there to Tatten, make sure you... You can follow along, actually, on our Instagram account and you can see the actual posts that came in in the different places. So in third place, uh, Tatten. Well, in third place, in a week that was all about Parliament being back and all about Omicron, the third place post was nothing to do with either of those things. In fact, it's about Sadiq Khan having a plan to decriminalise certain Class B drugs. It used to be all Class B drugs, but it's moved on to just be cannabis now. So that if you're under 25 and you're caught smoking weed by the police, you will not be prosecuted. You will have to go and maybe do a course or something about about the health disbenefits, ill benefits of, of, of weed. But the idea is to help people not criminalise them. Is this when you get caught speeding by just a little bit so you get sent to the course? That's exactly what this is. Yeah. To educate people. I mean, obviously, the critics, and oh boy, are there some critics of this, say that uh, he's encouraging young people to, you know, take heroin all the time in their eyeball. Because that's, that's, that's how political discourse works. But yeah, that's, so, so, so this, is, this is going ahead in three areas of London. Okay, so Diane, what kind of comments were we getting through on this post? So we had... Um obviously a lot of people who would come down on the side of supporting the decriminalising, just having some weed uh, that's for personal use in your possession so that, you know, younger people won't have criminal records and won't be adversely affected and therefore may go on to have worse outcomes in the end because of um, how their uh, conviction is dealt with. And there are some people who think it is going down the route of being too lenient as well. So, a mixed bag, but a lot of questions about the under 25 age limit, actually. Um, so mm. a lot of people wondering why that's the cutoff. It is slightly 
confusing as to where that where that's come from. So hopefully we'll get more clarity on that in the in the next couple of weeks. So in at number two, Diane. Yes, in at number two, we have a change to testing, which um, our post was concerning England, but um, that's been taken up throughout the nation. So um, it's going to be the same approach in Scotland and in Wales and in Northern Ireland, just on slightly different dates if you're in each of the regions. So keep an eye on that. But it's from next Tuesday in England. If you had a positive lateral flow test and you're asymptomatic, you just need to start isolation immediately. Just take it that that's you, you're positive and you start your isolation because what was happening and the rationale behind this decision is because about 40% of people are asymptomatic when they when they have Omicron and they were waiting for absolute confirmation from a PCR test, which as you know, there's been a whole heap of people trying to book them. So it takes a while and then it Mm -hmm. takes a while for the results to come back from the lab. So you could be adding on days essentially to your isolation when you could just start it immediately. So the hope is that for a lot of people, it's going to bring down the asymptomatic people, it will bring down the isolation period and, and get them back to work quicker. So, Diane, what does asymptomatic mean in this? Because if you've got a bit of a cold, is that symptoms? Like, how? where do you draw the line? Because a lot of people feel a bit, oh, yeah, just a bit, yeah, I'm going to take a test. All right, fine. And then it's negative. But would those symptoms... Or were they not symptoms? Do you have to have a continuous cough and a lack of smell and taste and, you know, all the other official symptoms? Or if you just, I don't, I find the term asymptomatic quite problematic because it's not a clear line as to mm. what's asymptomatic. I have to get an official NHS line on that, to be honest, Tan. <laughs> It's a good question. Well, I know my my wife, for example, we had to, uh, she was sat next to her boss for like, the whole day, Monday before Christmas. And subsequently that evening, he tested positive. And my wife then had to, even though she had no noticeable symptoms. So maybe it's kind of that incidental things. If you've been around someone who's been, uh, test, who has tested positive, then that's where that kind of asymptomatic thing comes from. But I agree yes. with you guys. It's that kind of, you know, it's December, people kind of feel a bit ropey. You know, it's winter, people kind of feel a bit ropey. And is that is that a symptom? Um, I guess so. If you stub your toe while taking a test, <laughs> right? Oh, no, Is no, that no. a symptom? <laughs> I mean, that, because, because you're doing the test and it's, it hurt, you know. It's a symptom that you should do one thing at a time, Tatton. That's what it's a symptom of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, in at one, Tatton, what was the most popular post of this week? Uh, the, po- I mean, the, the word popular is interesting <laughs> here because it was about every secondary school child, unless exempt, having to wear a mask in every lesson in England. So they've already had, they're already wearing masks in communal areas. Uh, and now the introduction is masks and lessons, which means you know, children are wearing masks for eight hours a day. And like, that's really, it's, it's difficult. Apologies to our eco-friendly friends, but I was on a, on a plane and I had to wear a mask in the kind of uh, at the airport and then on the plane, and then at the airport, and that was like four hours in total, and it felt like it was a lot, yeah. right? And then these are kids who need to listen, need to communi- communicate, and 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 it's challenging. And the other thing that people said in the comments was, "We're sticking with Plan B, no more restrictions. The only restrictions added in." are for children. And that felt a bit, people were a bit upset by that. Uh, but people also pointed out that some um, schools spread, 
a lot of Omicron. And by keeping masks on, if they're slowing the spread rate, it keeps teachers in school, it keeps teaching face-to-face, not, you know, five class in a school hall with the head teacher standing at the front or, you know, teaching by Netflix uh, as kids, as school largely becomes childcare when there's so few teachers around to actually teach. So the government's saying it's all about keeping schools open and yes, it's regrettable. No one wants them to be wearing masks, but for now, that's how it's going to have to be. It's made a lot trickier by the fact that there is a, a, a government report that says there's not a huge deal of statistical evidence behind mask wearing in secondary schools. So I think that's where the messaging's really, you know, really difficult for people. But I think statistics are really interesting because <laughs> my experience of masks is the best thing about masks is it changes people's behaviour because people see people wearing masks and they remember there's a virus around. Whereas when you're in a maskless environment, It's really easy to, I mean, you know, this doesn't happen in secondary schools, but it's really easy to have a couple of extra drinks. And actually, that is my story of secondary school, to be fair. Uh, (laughs) And and forget. And masks remind you. Same as hand sanitizers on the way in. Hand sanitizing your hands on the way into a shop doesn't stop anyone getting coronavirus, right? But it does remind you when you go into the shop to be distant, to, to do all the things. Okay. Well, so you say it's more behavioural aspect, but if you do, if it becomes the norm, then it almost diminishes the impact. That's interesting. Okay, let's go to the Thursday debate. Every week on a Thursday, Simple Politics podcast, that's Tat and Diane and Charlotte set you guys a debate topic. And this week it was, to what extent has Boris Johnson got the level of restrictions right in England? I guess this follows on a little bit from the from the most popular post. Tatton, do you want to take this off? Yeah, so this is about plan B. Boris Johnson has not gone the way that Nicola Sturgeon or Mark Drakeford or what Northern Ireland's going on, which is where they've closed nightclubs and all sports behind closed doors. And they've gone quite a bit further. So he says, we're going to stick with plan B for the next three weeks at least. Uh, and, and plan B is light touch. Plan B is work from home if you can, um, which a lot of people are, are taking as if you'd like to. Wear, wear masks in public place and transport unless you're sitting down to uh, eat. So take the rules for takeaways are if a takeaway has no tables, you have to wear a mask when you go in. But if there is a, one table at which you can sit and eat, you mm-hmm. do not have to wear a mask when you go in. Even though you'd be walking past people who are, don't have... Anyway, um, <laughs> it's very complicated. And COVID passes for, for big events. We've just seen the darts at Ali Pali. I don't know if anyone saw the darts on the TV, but there was kind of 3,000 people singing and dancing, very up close and personal. But they've all had a COVID pass. They've all shown their, their jabs or they've shown a negative test on the way in. So the idea is once you've done that, I mean, sure, they can catch all kinds of other diseases from each other, but not COVID. And the question is, can we just hunker down? People aren't dying as much. Can we just hunker down, use plan B to get us through, not restrict anyone's freedoms, or is it just totally the wrong idea? Should we have just, should we all be locked inside forever and ever and ever? Or is there a line between? Yeah, that's the question we asked is is basically whether he was right to, to hold his nerve on plan B, because 
If you look at some of the data out this week, ONS figures suggested that, you know, one in 15 people had COVID over the new year. Hospitalizations are going up, although there isn't the same need for intensive care. But deaths are still holding. Deaths are still holding. So we asked readers what they thought. And the comments, I had a smile on my face reading a lot of them because there are people who aren't Boris Johnson fans, aren't Conservative Party fans whatsoever. And almost you could see, you could feel as you read their comments, the strain they had typing that they actually agreed with the PM around holding firm on plan B. <laughs> so there was quite a few of those. If I, if I read you a couple of them, um, we've got one from yes, Dr. Georgina, who says, uh, for once, he's probably got it right which, you know, that says it all with the for once uh, about how she feels, saying it's quite literally too late to do anything else now to to reduce the pressure on the NHS. It's kind of already passed. And another one, Rebecca Varty, who said, um, I think he's got it right. It's up to individuals to live with the virus now, how they feel comfortable. And she said, you know, her mother-in-law doesn't go inside cafes, but they're open for people who do choose to go in and, and do so. The NHS, she says, might, might possibly disagree, but there has to be a balance and the world can't stop forever. I think what's really interesting that comment and because mm. the flip side of that argument of you don't have to go to the cafe if you don't want to go to the cafe is that the people who work in the cafe have to go to the cafe. Mm. They don't have that choice. They've got, you know, one person in 15. Now, if you're a mm. cafe and you serve 100 people, that's quite a few people, and you know, in a day or in a lunchtime or whatever, that's quite a few people who have COVID mm-hmm. in your cafe and you can't afford to shut. So people's changing their behaviour makes you choose between your livelihood and your health. And that's a difficult choice to make. Absolutely. So we had a couple of comments uh, for there. Uh, Diane, was there anything on the against column? Yes, a lot about the NHS, basically, and people really being concerned about the strain that it's under, which we know is going to really come to fruition over the next few weeks. So we've got a comment from Being Mum on Instagram who said, um, we're not protecting the NHS anymore. It's, it seems hypocritical that at the start of the pandemic, it was all about protecting the NHS. But now, um, with just keeping with plan B, um, it seems to be on its knees and the Prime Minister doesn't seem to be doing anything about that. Yeah, I mean, that that that's been one of the maintenance level at the uh, current administration is that is the about face with the NHS. And I mean, if you if you think back to the distant times where we were clapping on the Thursday Thursday evening, that seems like a whole generation away, doesn't it? Well, I mean, it's nearly two years ago, and <laughs> what long two years they've been. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the the point about clapping is that it stopped at almost exactly the same time as uh, Dominic Cummings went to Barnard Castle. Like that sense of unity of spirit that everybody had coming together to fight this thing together was kind of destroyed mm. by that press conference in the Rose Garden. And it just felt like to a lot of people, we're all doing this, but you're not. How? And then you're the story about an eye test. Like, I think that was a massive turning point in the last two years. So guys, if you do want to comment on the Thursday debates, uh, it goes up every Thursday evening on the Instagram account. Do go there, leave your comments and we'll read out the best ones uh, in the podcast um, and also maybe link to them as well. 
I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have included fellow Stripped Media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song, and Kobe from Flixwatcher, and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast, or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. Section 3, Bills, Bills, Bills. In this segment, Tatton takes us through a bill that's coming up in Parliament. And this week's bill is a nuclear energy financing bill. What is this? (laughs) So, um, quite simply, it's financing for nuclear energy and it's a bill. Um, what this, I mean, nuclear energy is, is, is a huge topic because everybody agrees, right? Everybody agrees we don't want to be using fossil fuels to make electricity anymore, right? Mm. Fossil yep. fuels, yep. rubbish, don't use them. Mm-hmm. Just, just get rid. And so there's lots of wind farms and there's lots of solar power, but wind farms need wind and it isn't always windy enough. If you go out to sea, you have these massive great blades, it's normally windy enough, but sometimes it's not windy enough to make all the electricity. The sun, I mean, this is this is England or the UK. I don't know if you know how often the sun is out. It's out like three days a year. So solar power is 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 tricky too. And the government believe the answer to this is nuclear power. And just saying the word nuclear is terrifying because we mm. we think of the atom bomb and we think of um of just of just just the, yeah. the apocalypse. Chernobyl. It's Chernobyl. Yes. Mm. And just generally we think oh we're all going to die. But the government, like, you're probably not going to die. It's fine. Um, and they have set up, uh, they, they really want to go big on nuclear power. They say it's safe. They say it's reliable. They say it creates loads and loads of energy. But the problem is, it's really expensive to set up, right? Mm-hmm. So they want to make a new nuclear power plant in a place called Sizewell in Suffolk. £20 billion. Pounds. This is going to cost a setup, and normally, so far, they've tried to get the private companies to set it up, knowing they'll make the profit in the future. You know, you invest twenty billion mm. now, then you make money in the future. But there just aren't that many companies who have twenty billion lying around. I mean, maybe Apple, maybe Apple. I was going to say your, your man, your man from Amazon. That is terrifying. And the electricity comes to you really quickly. <laughs> And I mean, as a bit of insider baseball, my in a previous career, I was a, a chemical and process engineer working in the energy sector, and I spent a bit of time working on projects in Sellafield. Um, mm. So it is, it, I mean, even now I think, oh, Chernobyl, especially because uh, one of my favorite TV shows of recent years, That's was an Chernobyl, amazing show. and you still kind of think, well, if I designed a valve wrong, could that have happened? Um, the important thing is, Kobe, you couldn't have designed the valve wrong because you're amazing. So that's right, it's fine. That's right. So it wouldn't have been me, it would have been Jeff. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Bezos, Jeff, Jeff Davis, oh, Jeff Davis, <laughs> he's the uh, worst. But I know that it's 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 still a cause concern. The current state of energy is kind of scary. I was reading reports that in April our energy bills could go up as much as fifty percent mm-hmm. uh, based on you know, the gas crisis at the moment. So uh, maybe that's part of their thoughts with this with this bill as well. It's exactly it. We've got to come away from from these these kind of the source sources that are so very variably expensive that's not mm. the right phrase but um the, the, so 
get it here in the UK, get nuclear built, get it pumping out loads of electricity, like loads of like cups of tea, loads for a really long time. It's going to um, be tea. You tea. need enough tea. That's you the need. Uh, this is the UK. <laughs> um, Has seen, have, you, have any of you guys seen the documentary about the Beatles? No, not yet. No. It was one of my favourite things of last year and the amount of tea those guys drank really? was uh, phenomenal. <laughs> Absolutely. Tea and toast powered the Beatles uh, during the latter stage of their career, certainly. So, guys, if you want more music like, of quality and calibre of the Beatles, we need... Then we need Sizewell C. I've got a tea. Oh, look at that. <laughs> so, so the plan of this bill is to get the government to foot some of the bill of making the plant, right? Because mm. we just really want it, basically we want it at any cost because it's so important to the to our national infrastructure, to our going green infrastructure, to, to everything. So we're going to put, I mean, I saw one, one figure of 1.7 billion. Um, it's that kind of money that we're going to put in. And then we can get it built and then the private firms can run it and they can get, you know, like, and then we're off to the races. But other people, the critics of this say, hang on. So first of all, we don't think it's very safe. And we think tidal energy is a really good thing. And it's really, the tide keeps coming in and out, right? Like it may not, <laughs> yeah. it may not be sunny, but the tide's coming. And also pumped water for ones. They're really good. That's not the technical term. I love that description. Um, <laughs> I love it then. I love it. <laughs> like but yeah, up, up, they go down, down, up the water goes, down the water comes. Because if mm -hmm. you're pumping it yourself, steer away from innuendo. If you're pumping it yourself, it's really, it's guaranteed. Right? Yeah. Like it can't, it can't not be sunny if you're doing the sun yourself. If you're, it can't be sunny if you're doing the sun yourself. Um. <laughs> it can always be sunny if you're doing the sun yourself. Yeah. I, I think we need, we, did, we definitely need a, a, a wider energy portfolio, if that's a, a correct kind of term to use. And I think mm -hmm. nuclear is never going to be a popular one. Um, you know, if we can, we can use more options like the, the, the sun trap that you're trying to talk about, um, solar, hydropower, anything we can Hydro use. Hydropower, yes, that's what I was yeah. looking for. It would be, and tidal you know, and also reducing the amount of energy we use. I love, I, I love it when I see a house that's got solar panels on the roof and you know, things like that. We need to consume less energy. Uh, Diana, any thoughts before we go on to the next segment? Yeah, you're right, Kobe. I think overall this is about not putting all our eggs in the one basket, isn't it? So it's about, mm. um, as you say, the the, the mix. Um, but the things where, where you can spend a massive chunk of money investing in the things like hydro and tidal, you know, you need to weigh that up with the, the fact that all of those things that we've mentioned, the, the greener forms of energy, you know, come with the massive advantage of of no uh, radioactive waste. So, you know, yeah. that that's a that's a huge thing to to consider in the whole nuclear argument that we haven't quite worked out yet. I don't think, and it's like sort of something that just keeps getting put aside. So, um, yeah, but I think you're right. It's the it's definitely got to be a mix. And the big sell to consumers or, or to the general public is going to be about bringing the energy prices down, you know. Um, mm. So, you know, the government investment seems huge as well. But long term, if if that is about, you know, people having more money in their pockets because they're paying less for energy bills, then, you know, that's that's how they've got to win people over. This bill is about money. It's not about, I mean, Sizewell C has already been given the go-ahead. It's about money for it. And the, the critics of this bill, apart from the ones that say we shouldn't be doing nuclear anyway, say that the government is using taxpayers' money 
So the company that's doing it from, you know, whichever company is putting up the rest, they just get that money. So, 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 so all the risk is taken on by the taxpayer mm. and all the profit is taken on by the private company. And also the taxpayer is paying twice. The taxpayer is paying for the building of it. And then the taxpayer is paying of it through the energy bills too. So we're not going to get that reduction on our energy bills. It's not going to be like, well, we're paying 1.7 billion, which is roughly one twentieth, you know, one tenth. We're not going to get one tenth of our energy bills. So the government here is doing anything they can to push this forward, to get nuclear on board. And critics say, this is our taxpayers' money. It's all too expensive. And also don't like nuclear anyway. Well, I think, guys, as you listeners, please do comment below because I think this is quite a contentious issue. It'd be good to hear what you guys have to say and maybe we'll comment on it in uh, future podcasts. This is Random Choice. We can go anywhere, any topic that feels particularly relevant as chosen by our political geniuses. Diane, what do you have to bring to us today? Okay, so we thought we'd talk about petitions this week. There was a lot of buzz around petitions this week, specifically because there was a petition started to try to stop Tony Blair's knighthood, which was announced in the New Year's mm. honours list. And that gained a lot of interest this week. However, just as a point, the Tony Blair uh, petition wasn't an official parliamentary petition. So it's something a little bit different. But we thought that it's a good segue in to talk about petitions because we all get the emails my goodness I've I've had yeah. thousands of them in my time you know petitions seem like a really really good thing to do but do they work and that's what we want to talk about this week I just want to make a, a point there because the I saw that uh, petition and it was on the change.org and when I realized it was change.org petition I was like well I can't be bothered because I know that's going to not going to do anything at least in the UK and any of these petitions that do come around which is the point you're making has to be the official gov ones right and that's in the uk to make an offense and whether that makes and the point you're trying to make now is do these official parliamentary ones have any impact I, i'd like to stop and say that i completely disagree with what you just said kobe <laughs> sure. um change.org is not the way to get a parliamentary change but it is a way to demonstrate public feeling about something mm -hmm. so if i was gonna if i wanted i don't know aldi to stock more veggie sausages and i was outraged about it parliament yeah. the parliament website is not a place to put the put the petition it's about change.org it's about yeah. knowing whose mind you're trying to change and going for that and change.org is a much more user-friendly and it's much easier to get the emails out and get the social media done so if your aim is to demonstrate public perspective and public choices then it might be the best thing you know, like, because the Parliament Petition site, if you get 10,000 signatures, then they'll give you a response. And if you get 100,000 signatures, they'll give you a debate in Westminster Hall. But the problem is, debates in Westminster Hall change nothing. So you get 100,000 petitions, the signatures on your petition, and then nothing will change because of it. The reason petitions are often useful is to demonstrate that public feeling and engage people and get, there's so many stories on the news right now about how Tony Blair, this petition, Tony Blair shouldn't get that. So that that debate is being started by this person that did, it's an incredibly successful petition, even if it's not going to get a debate in the Commons. Damn. Yeah, and it, it won't ultimately do what they want it to do. Unless what they want it to do is give the voice to the people who want to say, the man's a war criminal or, and talk about the war in Iraq and talk about that. Like, 
if the point of the petition is actually to get the debate out there, to give the voices out there, uh, to combat the voices that mm-hmm. say he should get it, then it's a success. Mm. I, I completely agree. I, I, I rescind part of what I was saying about the change that all ones being useless. Um, but it's, if it is, if it is, sometimes they, you do get them through that are tied to trying to make a political change. Yes. Um, so maybe in those cases, a change to org one, if you're, if that's what you're trying to do, then, then it's going to be a false errand. But if you do want to change or gauge public opinion, then I think that, as you say, the change to org ones mm-hmm. do have their place. And yeah, they're a lot, lot easier to get mm-hmm. up and running and a lot, lot easier to, to spread out uh, and get across to people. The, the point of making change happen always is to know what you're targeting. What do yeah. you want to happen and how can you make that happen? Just yeah. kind of setting up a petition because you're angry isn't going to cut it. No change is going to come about that way. Whose mind do you need to change? How are you going to get in front of them? How are you going to demonstrate the argument? How are you going to get them to change their mind? And all of these different tools are out there and they need to be used constructively. And then Diana, is there any, are there any petitions that you think have worked on either platform? So Marcus Rashford's campaign was one of the uh, ones that, that, you know, stands out as having worked, um, where he did do an official parliamentary um, petition around ending child poverty in the free school meals campaign over lockdown, which did result in action being taken. Um, Generally, when you do search the history of some of the parliamentary petitions, there are some others that stand out as having huge, absolute swathes of people um, signing them, but but haven't resulted in the right action being taken. So, for example, having a second referendum on Brexit. That was a really hugely um, uh, signed up to petition, but obviously that didn't happen. So, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, Again, guys, do leave your comments under this post that accompanies this podcast episode. Be great to hear what you have to say. Let's go on to the final segment, Crystal Ball. What big stories do you predict will be coming up this week, Diane? Well, it's tricky. I had a look at uh, all of the news outlets this morning to see what was coming up. The best I can come up with is Novak Djokovic cases will be heard on Monday. So we'll know his fate. But um, yeah, that will no doubt dominate headlines again on Monday. Tatton. Um, I just want to come back on Diane here. It's not tricky. It's really clear. <laughs> we know exactly what's going to happen next week. We're going to be talking about Omicron. We're going to be talking about COVID. We're going to talk about people missing work. We're going to talk about the NHS being overcrowded. We're going to talk about all the miserable stuff that we've spoken about for months and months and months. It will so, carry on next week. We'll have Boris Johnson on our television at some point. Chris Whitty will be saying, next slide, please. And we are going to love it as we always do. So same, same is what you're saying, Tatton. Next week's crystal ball, I will say exactly the same thing. <laughs> this is my crystal ball every week. So I look forward to the time you won't be saying that when, oh, there's no there's no more COVID. <laughs> As you were, guys, three years ago, 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, okay, thank you very much for listening to the Simple Politics Podcast. I'm Kobe with Diane and Tatten. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks, Kobe. <laughs> do take a moment to follow us and subscribe to us on your favourite podcast app and do tell your friends uh, to listen to us as well. Do follow us if you haven't already, as I've said a couple of times this episode, uh, at Simple Politics on Instagram and guys would love to hear from you on that platform leave comments and the best ones will be read out in the coming weeks thank you very much for listening and see you next week Bye. Bye.
You just heard a stripped media production.